Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. I am thrilled to be joined by Bailey today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start and just give us a little bit about your background and how you are involved in the ag industry? So that's quite a bit to unload right off the bat, but um, I am pretty fortunate to say that growing up, I had the gracious opportunity to watch my family have a feedlot operation, a cow-calf operation. And then when my brother graduated, they started an A2A2 specialty dairy. And we also crop farmed about 2,000 acres. And then I did a lot of 4-H and FFA activity growing up when I was in high school. Um, And then transitioned into livestock judging at Illinois Central College. And I did that for two years. And then I transferred to Iowa State University and got my bachelor's of animal science. And I was very involved in the pre-vet club and in their block and bridal club as well. Um, And then I decided to kind of mid in my journey in um, at Illinois Central College, I had the epiphany that I had the passion for vet med and I wanted to go and become a veterinarian. And so I worked my way through that while at Iowa State. And now I'm here back in Columbus at my home state at Ohio State University. And you are a third year in Yes, I'm going to be a third year. Yep. Okay, perfect. I think that there is some flaws in the design of large animal vets because we are losing them faster than we are gaining them. And so I think the fact that you want to go into vet school is incredible. But let's talk a little bit about that. Why do you think we are not having as many people become vets as we used to? So this is a very controversial topic, and it's actually, there is a veterinarian, of course, uh, Jody Cole, DVM. Um, she used to do her own private practice, but now I think she actually just went to University of Pennsylvania. I could be wrong, but she has been talking a lot about like legislation and bringing awareness of the shortage of food animal practitioners. But from what I've seen and what I have talk to with my peers, just having that first on. And actually something that I contemplated a lot when I first started, I knew that I wanted to go into food animal. And then it came down to the fact of you're graduating with a lot of debt. And it's just a lot to unload when you're a new grad and you have, you know, I'm fortunate that I will be on the the lower end Comparatively, but there's some people that will graduate with $400,000 of student debt. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, small animal veterinary medicine is certainly a service. And I'm not, I don't want that to come out wrong whatsoever, but it's a service and people in society are certainly there's just a trend that people, they're companion animals, they're very important to them, they're willing to pay whatever. And so that in conjunction has, just a much higher value as a small animal 
practitioner. So people tend to go that route or even go into mixed animal medicine. And so they'll do a little bit of large and then they'll do a lot more small. So then, you know, they can have a higher salary, but that's the biggest thing that I've seen or the other, and there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever, but it's something that I talked to one of the veterinarians that I uh, worked at with um, in Alberta, and he's been in the industry for an extremely long time. And it comes down to, and I and myself am a woman, and one day I plan to have my own family. So I'm not dragging anyone, but it comes down to the fact that food animal medicine genuinely is a labor intensive it's a challenge. And so, you know, when you have dystocias and you have to use all of your body weight and all that stuff, it, it weighs you down. And so most of the time when some female veterinarians will go ahead and they have kids, sometimes they transition into that role. And that's not the case at all because, or that can be the case, but not every case. Because I know like Dr. Erica Nagorski, like she is like pro female food animal veterinarian, like all the time. And so I love like her passion and all that she does. And she talks a lot about how, you know, women can have kids and they can continue to be food animal practitioners. So I love that. But from what I have seen and what I've heard my colleagues talk a lot about, that is the consensus, the two big hitters. I think you're right on. I think the debt piece, one, I think the debt in college piece all over the board is an issue, right? We're talking about this the government's backed these student loans and it's a vicious cycle. Kids come out of school with more debt than their salaries can pay. And so we see it even more so, right, in medical school or vet school, like the next levels. And so I think that's a huge issue. Also, I think it's even harder to live in rural America if you're not from that area, especially as a large animal vet. It seems as if in our area, like our closest vet is 30, 40 minutes away, and all of the neighbors ranch. So it's not like there's not a need, but it's almost like there has to be a really established practice. And I'm noticing as these practices come up for sale, if no one's around to buy them or take over them, and some of these you know, young grads are not in the position to buy a practice. Mm -hmm. We just keep losing these practices. And so I'm really a big believer in supporting our vets. And we support multiple of them. My dad's always been a believer that each one has their strength and we need to play into that strength. But I think as people in production agriculture, we have almost been taught to use the vet the least amount as possible. Say like, oh, you know, we don't call the vet. We buy our vaccines down at the farm and ranch store. We like all of these things we've, we've tried to eliminate our relationship with that vet, maybe not even consciously, maybe subconsciously. But then when emergencies happen, we get really frustrated that there's no vet to answer the call. And I think that's going to be something that's even more so an issue going forward. So I will say, at least from my experience, and that's one of the biggest motivators of why I want to specialize and go into more of a consultation role. And there is absolutely a need for rural practitioners. But in this case, for me, I have so much more enjoyment in a career when you have like that level of respect. And so I got to see that firsthand when I was in Alberta with these feedlots is like they 
like obviously they're not always happy that you're there in a sense because usually they're there to fix something and that costs them money or whatever it will be. But um, it always comes down to that they want your opinion. They want that relationship with you. And at the end of the day, it's a business to them. And it's the same thing with cow-calf producers as well. Is like, this is a business. You do generate amount of revenue per year. And like your vet plays a role in that, especially if you have a good relationship. And so I think especially, and I don't want to make people mad over here, but I've seen that challenge in Ohio is that the scale of producers is much smaller. And so I just don't think they truly see the value in a bovine veterinarian in a sense. Uh, We have a much higher percentage of dairies out here. And I see that producers see value in that, but cow-calf herds can average anywhere between two head to 150. I mean, there are some larger ones, but like that is probably the more common. So anyway, I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, but in a sense, that's my mindset on kind of why I've, I really want to go into food animal medicine, like into consultation because like, for example, I got to see that you can still have that role as a field veterinarian, but then you still have like a higher level of priority in a sense, for lack of better words right now for that producer. And so I just think, I think that alone has helped a lot. Do you think the consulting vet situation is unique? I mean, it's, it seems to be more of a trend in our situation as well, but is that something that 10 years ago was a big part of the industry or is that where the industry is headed? I think that's where the industry is headed because in general, even with like small animal veterinary medicine, I've heard a lot of talk about how they're kind of trans, like not that the whole industry is transitioning, but it's becoming much bigger to specialize in that one thing. Because even when I applied to vet school, I was like, yeah, I want to go into soft tissue surgery. Like I've always had my mindset and this veterinarian said it a lot this summer. He said, mixed animal general practitioners, jack of all trades, master of none. Whereas I've always really liked to at least know that I have the control of what I want to be good at. So if I'm going to go into bovine medicine, then I am confident that like I can offer value to my client in that aspect rather than being like, I don't know, let's go look at this about your dog or, you know, something about a horse. So anyway, with this in particular, I've just seen a lot about that in the spinal medicine side too, that, you know, there's a lot of people that want to go into emergency medicine. There's people that want to do cardiology, neurology. I just see a lot bigger population of students in each class that want to specialize in something. So I think in general, yes, it's a trend. I think so too. We we just seem to be using vets more in that scenario. We had a customer a couple years ago who invited us to his consulting vet meeting. And I remember it was an interesting term. It was kind of the first time we were introduced to it. And, you know, it's one of the customers who does majority of things himself, but he has this consulting relationship. And every year they get together and he kind of develops the vaccine protocol and they go over any issues and things like that. And the relationship was very unique and we thought really powerful. Like I said, he invited us to come to the meeting and it was really the first time that we thought about the relationship we have with our vet moving to that versus being kind of reactive, like, oh, there's an issue, then we call that more of a proactive, um, an offensive move in the veterinary medicine world. 
you said that you worked in some feedlots in Alberta. And Mm -hmm. as you probably know, we send a lot of northern Montana cattle to Alberta. So talk about some of the things that you learned, some of the things you saw up there when you were in those feedlots. So something about me that I think actually quite a few people know is that I absolutely love pathology. Um, But I want to note that I don't necessarily know if I'm an avid pathology enthusiast to the point where I could actually specialize in it and sit at a necropsy floor 24-7. I don't really know about that. Maybe one day. But just the amount of pathology alone that I saw this summer doing postmortems was insane. And just finally understanding, you know, I always thought I understood the true reason behind a postmortem to understand that obviously the cause of death. And I don't obviously want to like talk about all of where I worked in like their own model. I feel like that wouldn't be very good as a former employee, but in a sense, talking about cause of death and how you categorize them and how that helps you as a consultant from a data perspective to help your client thrive from feeding cattle to like, and just I even leaving, I felt very knowledgeable to an extent, but in terms of being proactive and seeing trends on what you can expect in like when your high risk cattle come in, you should expect X, Y, and Z when you have this. I can't do that yet. Hopefully one day that is the goal, but in general, a ton of pathology, just learning about even simple things that I thought I was really good at, like with livestock judging, I can always obviously analyze lameness. I can see where lameness is in whether if it's actually in the foot versus the hip or if it's in the stifle. And so when you're like checking hospital pins and you're evaluating each week, I, at some point I was stumped. Like there's just a misconception between understanding, especially with these crew workers on feedlots and helping them understand the differences between foot rot, early stage versus late stage, or you have your PDD, which is papillomatous digital dermatitis. And so you have that. And most feedlot guys will think, you know, that's foot rot. So they'll immediately put that under foot rot protocol. And your number one complaint is, wow, there's no response to this. So you're probably dealing with PDD and that's not fun to deal with. Um, Or you have obviously arthritis or laminitis. And it's just, I don't know, I thought I was going to be more prepared when I came into this externship because of my background. And keep in mind, my parents have been divorced for six, seven years now. And so I haven't been so in-depth in a feedlot in a while, especially because I've traveled all over and I've been at school. But anyway, I thought I was really prepared when I first came into it. And then I got just whacked by a wall. And it was like so cool in a sense because... I learned so much again, and I was just so absolutely in, in awe with this industry, and I'm so happy to be back in the beef industry, but it was just very humbling the first two weeks. I was like, okay, we've got a lot of a lot to learn. Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it's hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's Profit Finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. 
You can join the waitlist today and learn more at calvinmenulive.com backslash profit finder. I think the interesting thing is looking at the feedlot and kind of what's happening really talks about the cow-calf side. And one of the things we talked about with the vet that came to ranch camp, Kelly, is oftentimes lack, I don't want to say lack of knowledge, but it's almost like limited knowledge on the cow-calf producer can cause some severe damage, especially lung damage and issues in the feedlot that I really think as an industry we have disconnected. I don't think we as cow-calf producers are often aware of the repercussions of the decisions we make, the medicine choices that we use when they get into the feedlot setting. And so it's always really interesting to me when I talk to any feedlot, you know, owner or manager about kind of what they're seeing, the lung damage, some of that they feel like came from the cow-calf side that are some things that maybe are preventable. Is there anything like that that you noticed up there that were just kind of like reoccurring things that you felt like, okay, we could probably switch this, change this up if we change some protocols? So I will have to say it must, it might just be the season that I was there because really the majority, like I shouldn't say the majority, but like your heavy hitters in the summer season is going to be bloats. And so like you're dealing with a lot of that and that's more of a metabolic issue. So I actually made a post on my social media about a case that we had because it was super interesting and you could see that like in a sense that this was going to be the whole pen, um, that this pen came in and they kind of had known in a sense that they were a high risk pen. So anyway, we did the PM um, and I, I'm fine with just reading it like because I think it's really important with this that we're talking about. But PM lesions was um, significant petechial hemorrhages were found throughout that sub-Q in the animal's cranial and caudal regions. So right under like the subcutaneous regions. And then, but everything else was unremarkable. So then when you go to the lungs, um, there was a lot of fibrin on that, the surface of the lung, especially in the cranial ventral portion. So kind of the front bottom portion of that lung, if that makes sense. And so there was like more of a textbook bacterial bronchopneumonia lesion as well. And so I'm telling you all of this, and if you're in vet med, you're going to know versus like, this is very like specific in pathology here, but it comes down to like, you're doing it. And so what we would diagnose it as is a fibrinous pneumonia with a chronic pneumonia combo. And kind of in a sense, this is obviously a form of BRD. So then you have to ask yourself, so like, where did this come from? And so you're probably looking at a, a pathogen of Mannheimia hemolytica. And it it's crazy of like the process of Mannheimia because you want to associate that with shipping fever. And considering the fact that this was a calf 100 days on feed, it makes me think that the processing protocol was not up to par. And so it had initially made chronic pneumonia, like it started out with acute pneumonia, turned into a chronic pneumonia process. And there was some sort of insult that finally made this fibrinous pneumonia, like essentially 
lead to death on this calf. And so that's why, in a sense, like the number one lesson here is that prevention is going to be your first line defense. And so that alone, I think that was just a really, and that's like not really the feedlots problem, but that should probably declare like for the cow-calf producer how genuinely important it is for them. And so I actually had the opportunity as well to attend three brandings up in Alberta this summer as well. And it's just so cool how each producer does things differently. And so originally the way they set us students up, it was me, the other veterinary student, and then two ag interns from um, Australia. And so it was just kind of cool to even talk about how like we do stuff in Ohio versus North Dakota versus Australia. And then you have like the head vet that obviously they do it how they do it in Alberta. And so when I originally like they set us up to be prepared for this And so we had to create a presentation and a protocol on how we wanted to, like, for me, I was assigned to castrating. And then the other individual was assigned to implants and then vaccinations and et cetera. And so for me, I had really closed my mind and I was like, you know, I want to do it like this, this and this. And honestly, from a veterinary standpoint, that is important because when your producer goes, what should we do? you have that and you're like, this is obviously the gold standard. This is what I would offer. And so anyway, we were presenting these protocols to a board of veterinarians. And I mean, I'll be completely honest. I had no idea that producers castrated with pocket knives. I didn't know that. Like, cause that is not anything I've ever seen here in Ohio and honestly, the farthest I've ever been out in terms of of beef production is Iowa. So that was just an example. But in general, it was really cool to see how these cow-calf producers, how they vaccinated differently and how they approach certain things. Because one producer, we were vaccinating any or processing anywhere from, you know, wet navel calves to four months old because they are only pulling in calves one time and one time only until the next time they have to process. Whereas, you know, the next branding that we went to was a little bit more fine knit in terms of age. And so they had a little bit more of a structured protocol in terms of how they vaccinated. So I just think that's a great example on how genuinely important it is to talk with both your veterinarian and your drug reps in a sense to make sure that you have the right protocol for the setting that you're in. I always laugh at brandings because it seems as if they give the newbie the shots. And (laughs) one of the things I talk about at ranch camp is if you're brand new and you do not feel comfortable, don't take the vaccines. That is the most important piece of the whole entire branding. I know people think that the branding piece is the most important. I can buy them with an upside down brand. I can buy them without a brand. I can buy them with a brand on the wrong side. But if you don't give the shots correctly, that is what gets you marked off on a buyer's list where they won't buy them again. And I I don't know why we do that as ranchers, but that seems to be kind of our go-to is there's someone new, here's the best job, and they give syringes. And that is something that has bothered me for a long time, that we give people who this is their first branding, the set of syringes and say, please vaccinate my calves. Yeah. And, you know, comparatively, just like, I don't, 
obviously I'm not going to name names of who these, these ranches are because at the end of the day, they're great people. The way they do things is differently, but obviously there is no one way. So anyway, the one group that we had went to, they were very like wanted to watch you at least on five calves to make sure that you were doing it correctly. And then would kind of just like then send you off. They were confident because if I'm being entirely honest, I was implanting and I've implanted before, but it was something with these implant guns. They were not my friend. And so it just, we had to figure it out really quick. And then as soon as I was like, all right, I'm good. Then we moved on because implants are really important too, obviously. But yeah, I mean, that's just a great example. Whereas honestly, the other ranch that we went to, it was like, here you go. Like, have fun. See you later. You know, let us know if you need anything or something like that. Yeah. Different management styles. But I always think about that. If you don't feel comfortable, don't take the syringes. Pick a different job because I ha- we have crossed people off of our buyer list if they don't you know, if the calves get sick when they go to the feedlot. And a majority of the time, that's because they didn't get the right vaccines or they didn't get a full dose or whatever it is or no vaccines. And so it is so, so important. As a busy rancher, you're working every day to ensure the health of your herd. Here at Strayhorn, we know that caring for your animals often requires you to engineer solutions on your own, which can be frustrating as well as time consuming. That's why we have an extensive lineup of products to provide purpose-built solutions to the problems you face, such as vaccine safety with our Cattleback Box vaccine coolers. And let's not forget our fully customizable ear tags. We are dedicated to making sure we're always in stock so you can stay in control of your herd. No more waiting on long lead times. Strayhorn is more than just products. We're a community dedicated to your efficiency because your success is our success. So join the Strayhorn herd today. Visit our website at strayhorn.com or give us a call at 877-822-2699. Let's talk about a few things that you wish producers knew when it came to their relationship with their vet. What are some things that you wish they knew? I mean, I think the biggest thing is obviously personality. Like, I mean, I think it all comes down to who you're working with how their style is. And as it kind of goes back to the, is it a private practice or is it more of a consultation type role that you're seeking? I mean, I think that's your number one thing as a producer of like, what do I, what is my end goal with my veterinarian? Like, what is, what am I wanting to do? Am I just wanting a book or a pamphlet of a how-to? Because I know that there's a practice that, you know, they have like a pamphlet for their clients of like how to fix this. If you have a dystocia, this is the colostrum that we recommend or something like that. And so it's kind of just like the basics, but it's for their producer to have to make sure that they can look through before they call type thing. Whereas if you want your, in a lack of better words, if you want your hand held and you want more one-on-one with your veterinarian, it's just one of those things that you as a producer need to make sure that you have that conversation and communicate. I mean, obviously communication is very important. So really that's the number one thing that I can say, because at that point, once you've figured out who you're working with and what your goals are, then from that point, then you can kind of branch out with those things. And like, obviously just in June 11th, I believe back in June, the whole antibiotic restrictions went full fledged as well. 
Um, and so obviously having your veterinary client patient relationship is really important. And that I think goes back to what you mentioned earlier with the, how, you know, being more proactive in a sense and not calling when there's emergency or anything like that, because that's the biggest misconception we have with veterinarians is that when you're calling them, it's going to cost a lot of money because you have an emergency. Whereas if you're more proactive and you have that genuine relationship with them, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, absolutely. You talk a lot, you have a pretty big social media following. And you talk mm-hmm. a lot about what you're learning. Talk a little bit about kind of why you decided to get started sharing on social media and what are some of the things people like to hear the most about? Well, so when I first started actually posting on social media, it was like full business. So I started my business in 2019 and it just came down to wanting to have more financial freedom at the end of the day. I mean, it's a long story, but I just wanted more financial freedom. I wanted, not that I didn't have the support because I 100% had the support. There was just a lot of stuff in my life going on in a sense. So I just really wanted to make take that burden off of my family and create that financial freedom. So that was how I first started posting. But fast forward, um, I started vet school and it, I really just was like still kind of full business and a little bit of like my journey within vet med. And it really wasn't until my whole life turned upside down on me, just personal life. And I was so tired of sharing this picture perfect life and like everything was okay. And it it was just like putting my foot down and being like, I'm not okay with this anymore. I am not being an advocate for a fake lifestyle in a sense, or this picture perfect life. So that's when, I mean, you can quite literally see just the absolute twist and how my content started and how just my voice became bigger and bigger. And I became an advocate for more things. And yeah, that's, that was probably April of 2022. And then fast forward, I started realizing that people were really enjoying me sharing my journey. Um, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you're the same way, but for me, it just was I've continued to have God bless me with this business in certain things because there are some things that I do strategize, but there are other things that are straight blessings. And so for me, it was like finally realizing that, wow, my following is genuinely a ton of veterinary students, a ton of pre-veterinary students, a lot of veterinarians, like go figure. That is why I created the Turquoise Vet, but it had finally started come to fruition. And I realized that. So I started sharing more and more about my journey within vet med and just it's been so cool because people are just so absolutely supportive. Yeah, it's a great account. You do a fabulous job on there. I think sharing some of the good, bad and ugly. Um, and I think it's not a profession that's talked a lot about on social media. And so sometimes it feels a little untouchable and I think just bringing the human aspect to it is so, so important. I think it's certainly like it's growing more and more people are creating accounts and talking about it more. And for me, I have found myself in a sticky situation, especially as I'm continuing to grow within my career. You know, like I said, I started out the turquoise vet solely as a business. And as you can see, it's transitioning into my story. And so I like really want to be able to fully 
kind of go with that transition as I turn into a, you know, I obtain my DVM and I'm fully practicing as a veterinarian and I'm not just a veterinary student, but then I just really want the turquoise vet to be a resource for pre-veterinary students, veterinary students and veterinarians to come to for certain things. Cause right now I just feel like I'm in a tricky situation of advocating for mental health and the beef industry and advocating for ourselves, sharing how God has saved me out of every hole that I've been in and trying to sell stuff in between. So it's definitely been kind of tricky, but we're in the transition period of weeding things out and creating new entities. It's just really hard when you know you're about to go into fourth year and I'm about to have to like completely halt almost everything so I can go into clinical rotations with a very clear mind and focus on that. Because at the end of the day, and that's what this veterinarian that I worked with, his name's Dr. Pat Burridge, who's absolutely incredible. But we actually talked a lot about like, I kind of just was very honest with him because he has a lot of business experience. And so I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know the best way to approach going into fourth year with my business. And he's like, at the end of the day, you are in vet school. You need to prioritize vet school. If that means that you have to shut down or that you have to minimize what you are doing and you share more about your story, the people that follow you and the people that support you are going to continue to do that. And so it's been definitely interesting, but I'm very grateful for the support that I have. Yeah, it's a great platform. So kudos to you for sticking to it. Okay, let's get to the rapid fire questions. These are the fun part of the interview. Um, what is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like it? So my favorite cut of steak is obviously a filet. Like that's my favorite. I'm a medium uh, rare girl. I was about to tell you, I mean, I know that's not very rapid fire, but uh, I was just about to tell you that as a veterinary student, you know, you got to keep things cheap. And so I was like, I guess I haven't had like a really good cut of steak in a while. So, but yeah, if I had to choose, I guess that would be it. Yeah, no budget. That's it. Got yeah, it. Okay. <laughs> um, what is an ag industry topic you think needs talked about more? The shortage of rural veterinarians and the fact that the future of veterinary medicine for food animal practitioners is bright and it has endless opportunities and it's not all about money because not that it's about money, but the money's there. I think that's so important. Absolutely. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Stop comparing yourself to others and stop caring what everyone thinks of you because not everyone is going to support you in anything that you do. Great. Okay, last one. What is your dream non-career job? So someone has asked me this before. I actually probably would just take the turquoise vet on full time and I would expand on it more. Um, and I'd probably create a sister company and like, just be able to really focus on those two. Great. This has been a great interview. I think it's so important to kind of see in the vet side and a little bit more about what it's like and some of the things you're seeing. So thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Of course, we'll put all of your social media handles and everything in the show notes so people can follow along with your journey. Perfect. Thank you again. Thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to the Cattle Menu Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.